Alrighty, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some non-fantasy with my friend Charles. <laughs> Fantasy adjacent in many ways. I'm ready to talk about it as well, Dylan. And uh, that's because we've got a, you know, author who has dabbled in best-selling fantasy. But uh, this More book is... More than dabbled, Charles. <laughs> uh, I'm being modest here. You know, we, we are big fans of this author. And they have gone into the world of popular fiction with much success as well and so dylan you've gone and, and read the story and you're bringing it to us today i mean we, we have a lot of reading to do you know anyone following along with the show knows that we just finished friends pitching fantasy and we've got a lot of reading to be done starting with the court of thorns and roses by sarah j moss and then we are going to go into assassin's apprentice uh, by robin hobb but you know while we're reading that there another episode must be recorded and thankfully dylan has done a lot of extra click curricular reading and um I think this is an interesting book to talk about. I'm very curious about it, and it's been on my TBR to read as well. And um, Dylan, why don't you take it away and, and let us know what we're here to talk about? Yeah, we're here to talk about Yellowface by Rebecca Kwong or R.F. Kwong. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I got into this book. I audiobooked it. It's a pretty quick read compared to the fantasy that we're used to, even the fantasy that we're used to by this same author. And I, I mm. believe I've read everything that Rebecca Kwong has written. I've read think you the have. whole Poppy War trilogy, As of You. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read Babel, which you have not gotten around to yet. Nope. But I went out, I was like, you know, I really love Kwong's work, and now she's publishing this capital F fiction, not <laughs> fantasy. Right. And it's, yeah, it's been this breakout hit, as I think we all kind of knew it would be. And she's forayed into the, yeah, just capital F fiction uh, world in a mm-hmm. way that she was number one New York Times bestseller with with this one i believe or was that babble oh um i don't know but i have seen this book on like it is a indie bookstore darling i've seen it you know on the glass i see it right when you walk in it's being prominently featured right now it, it is this breakthrough success i wouldn't be surprised given the amount of like distribution it's getting and notoriety that it's getting if this wasn't you know, hitting um, any kind of accolade like a bestseller and certainly up for awards, I'm sure, as well, and, and this and that. And that's just the vibe I get from the news surrounding it. I haven't actually read it. I've only read The Poppy War, and I loved it. I'm a huge fan of Kwong's writing style, and, um, and uh, I'm here to uh, yeah, talk about it. And I'm curious to see what you have to say. Maybe if you can't convince me to bump it up that TBR. Oh, yeah. I will say, I do think it was Babel that was the number one New York Times bestseller. But I'll say that it it recently became the pick for Reese Witherspoon's uh, book club. Are you aware of Reese Witherspoon's book club? That's like a huge audience that follows mm-hmm. that. So, I, right. uh, yeah. And I mean, Reese Witherspoon, and we we're talking about, if if not still A-list, certainly a person who has been A-list. Uh, oh, definitely, at, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's a big deal. We're talking about someone who we remember reading when she was far from a household name, and was producing these awesome military fantasy books. And now we've watched her rise to this point where she's getting picked by Reese Witherspoon as the <laughs> author of uh, the book for her book club. So it's, right. it's, I remember when the burning it's, God came out, you know, back in 2020 yeah. when we first started the show and we wanted to, you know, we stopped we had a reading schedule and we actually stopped it. it was for the first time ever we deviated from our reading schedule to 
read the poppy war and the dragon republic in time for the burning gods release and you know when you first start a show it's like but the schedule everyone's you know, we're on the schedule but it's like why don't we just <laughs> maybe that's more of a you thing Charles. <laughs> uh, that's fair <laughs> but it's like you know we can read whatever we want whenever we want you know it's kind of like no one's stopping us from doing that and so we're like we kind of want to read rf kuang's poppy war right now it just is hitting the right vibes and we want to be prepared for burning god and so that was a fun time and then she's had quite a busy three years with Babel that came out last year and was an international bestseller and then uh, yellow face coming out very recently uh, this year so uh, she doesn't show any signs of slowing down either and even in her academic world she continues to excel i think she's now pursuing a phd in at yale so like things are just going to mm-hmm. keep moving onwards and upwards for rf kuang and this is only just the next phase in that trajectory so that's another thing that it, it, it's interesting when writer fantasy writers and you know it's weird I don't want to describe Arf Kuang as a fantasy writer, but as an author who wrote successful fantasy to make that pivot to the book club, capital F yeah. fiction sphere. Like that is a way bigger audience, way bigger market. And uh, like once you hit the book club circuit, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty special. That's a hard thing to top. You know, that's a lot of books. Like you're going to be showing up in airport bookstores. You're going to be right. showing up in Target. You're going to be sh- like, that's just a whole nother level of success, which some fantasy authors do make like, you know, George Martin and Brandon Sanderson, you see in on these places, but it's interesting to see like the, the ability to do both and kind of that, that swing, you know, Babel kind of feels like an in-between if, fantasy yeah. and fiction and then you've got uh the, the yellow face which the yellow face i sound like a the facebook oh, <laughs> you've got yellow face <laughs> and it's um you know kind of the more full swing into full fiction right there's no fantastical elements in this at all yeah it is just like any other book you would find in the capital fiction section of the uh bookstore your local bookstore and i think that but yeah like you're saying you don't have to go to your local bookstore to find this one anymore mm-hmm. you might just have to go to the airport when you're traveling mm-hmm. and stop in their little airport bookstore mm-hmm. or be in a target and walk by it i mean this book has been uh, I, i've been seeing it everywhere and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it has been an interesting journey for us where three, four, yeah, three years ago, she was a fantasy author, but not at the level of popularity of, let's, yeah, I don't want, let's say Sanderson, because he's an easy example, is just uh, not even close to that level of popularity back mm-hmm. then. Like a fantasy author that, you know, was finishing up her trilogy. I brought up the poppy war to you, and I think you hadn't heard of it before. And that's yeah. not a, you know, a take on you or your knowledge of mm-hmm. fantasy genre, which is obviously vast, Charles. Right. It is more of a like even people who read a lot of fantasy, as she was finishing up the Burning God, uh, might not have really known her work or might have heard mm-hmm. of it kind of tangentially. So to see her rise from that to yeah. Reese Witherspoon's and she book was club has like been the way I kind of remember being exposed to her in the beginning, my early impression of her was like, oh, she writes violent stuff and she writes pe- things that make people cry buckets of tears yeah. and this and that like she was known and like she was pulling from historical dark really references. Like dark oh, military yeah. fantasy oh, yeah. like and her books were like people. when we finally read the poppy war trilogy it was like yeah these are intense action-packed fast-paced books very much rooted in militaristic fantasy which like to to not necessarily, I'm not going to say rebrand because it's still very much on brand for RF Kuang, but to make that pivot expand your your brand in such a way where you know you have all this literary knowledge, this academic experience, and you're able to take a lot of those complex themes and ideas and express them through a, a wider genre of fiction is an interesting pivot to make and. You know, you compare to other authors like N.K. Jemisin, who has kind of stuck to sci-fi and fantasy and has Mm -hmm. like it would be like if she wrote like a 
like a book club picks like fantasy uh not fantasy fiction book and it's like not a lot of authors do which is kind of hard to imagine yeah i'm sure she she clearly i mean nk jemison is one of the great writers of our time in my opinion like she clearly has the chops to do that hello tulane alum by the way (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) no wonder huge (laughs) so the Uh, Yeah, obviously has the chops to do that, but has not ever made the choice to kind of go in that direction. And I I don't know. I don't think Rebecca Kwong wrote this thinking like, oh, I'm going to write a book club book. I think she wrote it for the purpose that she, uh, you know, she states it's kind of a a takedown of the publishing industry. uh, Like she's got all these TikToks she'll put up about like, oh, I convinced Harper Collins to publish a book that takes down the publishing industry, including <laughs> Harper Collins. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be a Rebecca Kwong, uh, I guess, pattern that she goes with her books. Like Babel is a takedown of like these really prestigious academic institutions, which mm. she was a part of, uh, you know, she's gone to Oxford, as you said, and Yale, and she's, uh, yeah, she gets into these worlds and then mm-hmm. she observes the structural problems, often particularly oppression and uh, or with the academia stuff like imperialistic aspects of it and all of that. And she then writes her like hit piece on <laughs> that uh, on that institution. It's kind of like, well, now she's writing her hit piece on publishing which she's also obviously very well acquainted with so it's uh, I, I don't know where she's gonna attack next but uh w- watch out if you're on <laughs> her uh, hit list <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely absolutely we don't need that kind of heat you know but she brings it it sounds like because the premise of this story is you know the book's called yellow face right and it's a very out there like very in-your-face cover, which I love the branding for this book. The cover is incredible. Um, but then I, you know, I, I think you'll probably want to get into the synopsis since you've read it. But it's it sounds like this is like a no holding back kind of story right from the synopsis. Yeah. So the the basics of it, I won't read this whole Goodreads synopsis, but the basics of it is the main character is June Hayward. And she's friends from back in her undergrad days at Yale with this woman who is named Athena Liu. Uh, June Hayward is kind of this like mid-list author who's gotten lost in the publishing industry. And she's she's a white woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Athena Liu is an Asian American uh, woman who has had massive success. In fact, like... There are ways in which I would see some self-insertion going on with mm-hmm. the Athena Lu character because uh, Rebecca Kwong writes about all these like awards that uh, Athena Lu is, uh, is receiving and mm-hmm. all of these uh, went like, to the same schools as R.F. Kwong praise and this and, and that. <laughs> right. Also, yeah, I was like, there's certainly, and you know, Rebecca Kwong writes from her experience and weaves some of it in. In no way is Athena like a direct parallel for Rebecca Kwong, but just her massive success at a young age uh, speaks to a lot of what Kwong has experienced. So, mm-hmm. uh, either way, uh, we have. Uh, this very, and this is in the synopsis, this is not a spoiler, and this happens extremely early on. Uh, it is this strange situation where June, uh, June uh, witnesses Athena's death in this like freak choking accident when they're hanging out at Athena's oh. place. And uh, they, they have this sort of like frenemy relationship where... June is just like super jealous of Athena's success mm-hmm. and Athena is kind of like uh, in her own world with like not truly understanding like what June's experience has been like uh Your classic and Goku Vegeta kind of relationship <laughs> sure but uh calling June presumably Vegeta in this situation is <laughs> probably giving her way too much credit like <laughs> Vegeta sure wasn't quite at Goku levels, but was definitely a, a formidable opponent. June is is not so much, but uh, she's uh, 
at Athena's place. Athena legit dies. And then (laughs) her just finished masterpiece of a manuscript is just sitting there just begging for June to steal it apparently Mm -hmm. and it's this sort of uh it's described on goodreads as an experimental novel about the unsung contributions of chinese laborers to the british and french war efforts during world war one so it's written from someone who's uh you know i i believe athena's parents uh came from china so uh, she's first generation Mm -hmm. uh, and she's writing this book that goes back into things in her background you know her heritage maybe is better said and then now it's in the hands of this white woman who's decided to steal it and goes on to you know, write the book and receive a lot of uh, attention for, and has a much more successful experience like uh, rewriting this novel in a way that kind of uh, like takes some of the teeth out of the like criticism of like the British and uh, French folks in World War One, and kind of whiteifies it for lack of a better phrase and then yeah goes on to uh, have massive success as in the synopsis it says you know oh, June reaches New York Times bestseller list and all that kind of stuff so it raises all these questions about like who can tell what kind of stories, you know, uh, can a white woman tell a story of Chinese laborers during World War One? Um, you know, uh, out, obviously you can't steal books from other people. That's a bad thing to do. Right, but it right. does kind of get into these topics and how society reacts to them and how the publishing industry it reacts to them. So sure. dealing with these Questions, uh, as Goodreads says, questions of diversity, racism, cultural appropriation, not only in the publishing industry, but the persistent erasure of Asian American voices and history by Western white society. So as usual, Kuang is diving into like the hot topics and the controversial topics uh, in a way that heavily draws from her own experiences and criticizes uh, the publishing industry in a satire with a very unlikable protagonist who, who does some pretty messed up things. So that's kind of how I would explain uh, Yellowface. Well, I mean, it is an interesting premise. And one of the things that kind of is piquing my interest here is like in the genre tab with all the keywords and stuff, sometimes I'm seeing psychological fiction other times i'm seeing thriller and mystery is there like components of these in that story like what kind of story is this is this like a satire slash critique or or is there something psychological and thrilling going on at the same time there's certainly a lot of psychological stuff going on in this and i i obviously appreciate that as as someone in the field like just getting into her like June's rationalizations of these really messed up things that she's deciding to do and like how someone can keep telling themselves like I'm not doing anything so wrong while they steal someone's book and uh, engage in some of these uh, racist behaviors and uh, I think that those kind of things like the rationalizations are very interesting from a psychological perspective uh there are moments that start drawing from like a mystery uh, aspect of uh, like uh, of sub of genre i would say there are moments that feel like a thriller just in terms of like i basically audiobook this in a day like mm-hmm. it keeps moving and it wow. keeps you wanting to know what's happening next but i don't know the things that the words thriller and mystery evoke for me like thriller evokes that there's like a level of danger and action that isn't exactly taking place in this and maybe that's why the like subgenre of psychological thriller is in there but even then i'm like yeah i don't know i think about <laughs> like these pretty intense movies when i think about psychological thriller like in a way that i would not say this really fits like if i think psychological thriller i'm thinking about like i don't know like gone girl 
you know what I'm saying? Which <laughs> I guess another good example because the book, right? I'm saying that's what I would think if you said psychological thriller. Oh, yeah. I yeah. would not compare this book to Gone Girl. Okay. I was um, going to say, whoa, because so, Gone Girl is no, juicy, boy. <laughs> no. I would say it's not like okay. that. Got and it. that differentiates it from what I think when you say the phrase psychological thriller or like, uh, um, let me think, like, memento or something like that right unreliable narrator kind of thing which it does have an unreliable Mm -hmm. narrator for the the record um because the whole thing is written first person from june hayward's point of view that may be where some of these websites are kind of reaching for keywords you know yeah but and there are mystery elements that pop up like i won't say for spoiler reasons we're gonna keep this spoiler free thank you uh i won't say what mystery elements pop up but there are certainly moments where it's like Mm -hmm. she's trying to figure out something and the reader is following along but it's like those are subplots that pop up throughout a book that is largely to me like the satirical critique of the publishing industry in the form of an extremely entertaining story like i gave it five stars on goodreads that like you know even if it it's hard to say this because the critique is so integral to what the story is about but if you were completely like oblivious to those themes and how they're playing out i still think most people would find this just a very enjoyable story because of the elements, like, like keep it moving, the interesting characters, even if they're not super uh, <laughs> redeemable or anything like <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not what I would think as a thriller or mystery, maybe psychological thriller, but even that seems more the stakes. Like, I don't know, when I think like thriller, psychological thriller, it's like people are in mortal danger, which I guess Athena Lou was when she choked on a pancake yeah, right. but not in the way that i would normally think for a psychological thriller golly choking on a pancake what a way to go yeah that's <laughs> not how i would want to go well it, it seems at least on a like waffle. a lot of or stuff. french toast oh yeah uh, waff- belgian <laughs> waffle to... maybe yeah sure i, I those like are like more formidable waffles. Yeah, I tend to gravitate. Oh, you're like thinking, myself. you're like thinking about like how people would think about your dying by choking on a pancake. Like, oh wow, really a pancake? Like those things are flimsy. No, I'm just con- like, <laughs> considering other things because those can turn into a paste, man. You know that, that can close up the esophagus real good, and you could put things like yeah. you know, powdered sugar on there. You know, like there's choking hazards there. Big chunks of it's fruit. dangerous. I don't know. It's dangerous. If you don't have a glass of milk nearby or something, like, it could be even more. I don't think milk would have saved her. Not if it's you got. You always her. milk is like your answer for everything, Charles. All right. I know I'm you. You saying, come from a milk forward family. D, yeah, my family was very <laughs> milk forward. Thank you for outing family. me <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> we had a lot of milk. Yeah. Okay. Sue me. But he grew it was, so It was tall, a different so... time, all right? There were not... Was it was it? like soy milk, you know? That was the alternative. We don't have all these fancy almond milks, oat milks, like... Yeah, but just to be clear, this was pure dairy milk. I'm assuming whole milk. It was 2%. And... We never did whole milk. <laughs> we did two. <laughs> like, but the don't whole... Don't put that on plant, <laughs> Like, the, the whole family was, was milk forward uh, and... But look at how tall they are. Like if you look mm-hmm. at, uh, for the record, if you look at pictures on social media, uh, I'm average height. Uh, so when you see these mm-hmm. pictures that are like Charles towering over me, that's just this this man who has consumed so much milk <laughs> that he grew to gargantuan <laughs> sizes. Uh, so, it was all the milk and, you know, I got yeah. good bones, you know, all that stuff right. that comes along with it. <laughs> Uh, don't ask me about my digestive system, but everything else, <laughs> real nice, real nice. Yeah. I don't know if fans you need to know that today. I was just trying to Definitely say that not. milk could have maybe helped dissolve some of the pancake batter, you know, but, um, and it would be common to have milk with pancakes. Okay. Like it's not that crazy. <laughs> and your like, family who very has common. water with pancakes. Okay. Like you need something to drink and, uh, maybe orange juice, or orange like juice. That. That's Tea. another good one. You know, uh, juice 
is good. Um, coffee, you know, they could have reached sure, for tea. Of classic. Yeah, classics, yeah. classics. But, uh, you know, besides the point, sometimes that pancake <laughs> stuff gets so thick that there's just no breaking it down in time before you you choke and die and leave your manuscript behind for other people to take and claim as their own. It, it's an interesting premise. Yeah. It, it's... It almost gives it's like I I don't know. I I can see like potential cool indie movie vibes from it. Like I, I like the premise quite a bit. It's a unique one and I think you know, there's a lot of meta stuff going on pulled from RF Kuang's experiences, which I also find, you know, since we've been following her since twenty twenty, I I find the meta aspects of the story to be particularly interesting as well. This idea of someone who is so experienced in publishing and in academia and in book promotion and in, you know, Asian history and this and that, that um, there seems to be a lot of commentary coming through from her own experience. And I think we're seeing that a lot with authors, especially like using social media as a way of gaining notoriety and popularity and building your own fan base, you kind of develop your writing, your public persona. And I think we see that a lot more than we used to. Like sure, there's always been writers that have had personalities like Hemingway and this and that, but it's a lot rarer because there just weren't a lot of like ways to get the personality of the author so frequently like we can today with social media. And I feel like Arv Kwong is one of those personalities uh, that exists on social media. And she's kind of built this whole narrative beginning with her commentary on social media and the topics that she likes to explore in her personal life. And it kind of continues in yellow face. So I think there's almost like another experience to be had there. I don't know, Dylan, were you getting a lot of that kind of meta commentary from Rebecca in this book? For sure. And, you know, Rebecca has become a, I would say, TikTok darling. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has contributed to her success. I think that she is mostly critical of social media in this book. Like Hmm. she has, uh, I mean, she always has nuanced takes on everything. Like she shows the role that social media can play in building buzz about an author. Um, Probably that's not a great thing when the author is a person, a white person who stole a book from an Asian American woman, but uh, like shows the role of it in that sense. But also just the, the Twitter mobbing and the constant like how negative it is for your mental health i mean there's points where it's like it can look like an author like their entire life is crumbling around them because they're getting canceled on twitter or whatever Mm -hmm. and then they like go and have a barbecue with their friends like and you know touch grass as the kids like to say <laughs> as the kids uh, like to say <laughs> right for sure and like hang out with people who are not in the publishing industry and not like on book twitter or book talk or what have you and then they're like oh hey like how's your writing going like i heard you published a new book uh, and sounds like a lot of people are reading it like that might be the reaction or they might not even know that uh, a new book was published or anything like that and kind of the discrepancy between living online and how that can affect you and how you can think like twitter is the entire world and then comparing that to like well the real world kind of exists mostly independent of that (laughs) and you're in your own little like twitter space and we you know we're in the book twitter space and it's interesting to see these things i feel like like giant controversies or what have you and then it's like the percentage of people in your day-to-day life who actually are plugged into that besides if you're like in the publishing industry and you go and like see all the people all the time who also are in the publishing industry but you know your family and friends for the most part who are likely to not be in that industry like have no idea what's going on but it feels like it's everything to people are chronically online and right. you know, i don't 
mean to <laughs> like say that in a derogatory way. Obviously, I could use a little bit less time on social media myself as uh, a person who runs all. our accounts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to see how it, it's kind of hard to separate Arv Kwong the personality from uh, the characters and the events and the like talking points in this book. Um, and I find that to be an interesting experience. Um, but I wonder, you know, I think for people going into this, if this is their first Arf Kwong book, I find they may get more out of it to like read the, about the author and learn more about her as an individual. Cause it kind of contextualizes the book, which is an interesting, an interesting position for an author to take is not, unheard of by any means and i think we're seeing a lot of those stories being told in the past couple years especially in fantasy but in popular fiction it's been a thing for a long time of like you want to read about the personality you know it's like every celebrity has their own book and you know it it makes like there was the one was like i'm glad my mom died which we both read and loved where it's like the Mm -hmm. personality of the author adds that extra value to the reading experience of the story in that case it was like a biography but you can see it in works of fiction as well and it sounds like that's what's coming through here there's a lot to enjoy in the meta aspect of this and learning of arv kuang the author uh, beyond just what's written in the story yeah and it's interesting to see that the uh, the choice she made was the of the two authors that are prominently featured, even if one dies mm-hmm. pretty early, like her, her ghost looms large over the story because the book is, is stolen from her. It's like mm-hmm. the author whose experiences mirror Kwong's to a greater extent is mm-hmm. the, you know, the character that dies and not the main character, nor the character that, uh, is the first person narrator uh, that's June Hayward and it's kind of written from I would say the point of view as the person that Kwong would see as more the villain in in the story although the greater villain is prob- probably the publishing industry right if we if we put this in our fantasy terms that we better understand <laughs> it's like sometimes there's the bad guy or what have you and then there's the big bad <laughs> right and <laughs> right. you might you might face the the regular bad in the at the end of the first book but we're going the whole trilogy in our typical fantasy series before you take down the big bad and it's kind of (laughs) i guess the big bad here is the publishing industry (laughs) and the bad is the is the protagonist actually in june hayward uh, it's kind of taking on the perspective of a like a white woman stealing uh the work of a person of color and that's uh, like very interesting choice that uh, kuang made it definitely helps her make the point i think much better than like if obviously athena's dead pretty early in this but if if it she chose to tell a story that was more like uh you know the character whose book was stolen is still alive and like Mm -hmm. dealing with the ramifications of uh someone stealing their work like she could have made that choice but she did not and it makes the book like awesome from those unreliable narrator aspects of it that we we're just talking about there's a character that is constantly trying to convince the reader trying to convince themselves that what they're doing is okay and you can see how someone who i mean is she well-intentioned or not i guess that's up to the the reader to determine um i I don't think she's necessarily well-intentioned, but she certainly sees herself as a better person than uh, she actually is, which Mm -hmm. I think is, right, that's very common where people see Hmm. themselves as the hero of their own story. Sure, sure. Uh, It's, uh, and I would say June sees herself as more of the hero of the own story, like the way that uh, 
she's like, well, doesn't this story deserve to be told? And it never would have been told uh, if it weren't for me because Athena died and it just would have been left unpublished. It's like uh, those kind of rationalizations are, are where a lot of my interest lies just from like I enjoy seeing people's psychological processes play out. So I think like, yeah, Kwong's choice to draw from her own experience uh, while taking primarily the role and the voice uh, when it comes to narration of a character whose experience is entirely unlike her own is yeah. Well, well done by Kwong. Wow. So, I mean that you're, it's a great sell, right? There seems to be a lot to get into here. It seems like a relatively faster read for those of us used to reading fantasy doorstoppers and trilogies and things like that. Um, I, so I guess the last thing I, I want to kind of discuss before we call it a day here is like, who would you recommend this book to, and especially coming from the lens of our audience, which may be more fantasy uh, inclined? I'd recommend it to Reese Witherspoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, and you would have I, had a good recommendation because she loved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a quick... I didn't really dive too deep into, like, does Reese read the book first and then decide it's good? I and mean, sometimes it's like it, Oprah's book club just... where it's like it's run by a company and, you know, people are picking stuff for a variety of reasons, but... It typically means that they've read it, and I believe that she's read it. You know, why not? Yeah, I believe. I just don't know the format of like she attached it to her brand anyway. Reading the book along, what's that? She she attached it to her brand, and and my understanding is it's more like a influencer thing, like Oprah's O list or whatever, where it's like yeah, maybe they'll do a write up on it, but they put it on the list, and that's just what people will like know to like when they're planning their next book club, what to like recommend and where to look right. to find books to recommend in their book clubs and things like that. I think. I don't yeah. really know. I've it's not like a read-along with Reese situation. Right, right, right. If She's you, not going to release yeah. like okay. a two-hour-long book discussion about it two weeks from now, you know, like we do. <laughs> Unlike us. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And I, I would never ask Reese to... <laughs> no, she's got a lot on her plate to, as it is, with, you know. Yeah. We just appreciate the wreck. We do appreciate the wreck. Uh, who do I recommend? Because this is an interesting concept for an episode from our podcast like how many times have we talked about books that are not fantasy or sci-fi mm-hmm. or historical fa- like historical fantasy i guess it's still fantasy because i'm it's just rare thinking, like, the judas blossom which we just covered extremely rare if at all like have we ever done it before i don't know and it's yeah so it's but it made sense to us because we know i mean like our poppy war episode is one of our most downloaded episodes. Like, we got to be in the top 10, I think. So we know our listeners are well acquainted with Kwong's work. And it's uh, definitely a situation where I think they would have interest in just seeing this from the perspective of Kwong's evolution as an author. Like, that's, uh, that's what drew me to this. Because if this book... Mm. I'm sure I would have enjoyed it anyway, but if this book was written by someone who wasn't Rebecca Kwong, it just does not fall into my typical like genre that I would choose to read. I'm so uh, I I gravitate right toward that fantasy and sci-fi section immediately upon entering a bookstore, and right. uh, you know whether it's good or not I, for me because I I gave this five stars. Obviously, this was very a very good read for me. Uh, I just don't like think to go to some of these like you know Reese right. book club type books and mm-hmm. I would recommend it to folks who are obviously fans of Rebecca Kwong mm-hmm. but then they might I, I know some folks have reservations about like well I'm a fantasy reader like do I even want to read this and I would say yeah and I think it's such a quick read compared to what we're used to as fantasy readers and it's it's just a really good read and it's kind of i i'm just interested to see what some of the like people like me who read mostly fantasy think of it it's uh 
so anyway, the the people are Rebecca Kwong fans, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, see if you you think it's worth taking the next step and reading something that's outside of fantasy by her. Uh, I think then it is. It's another one of those books. Like I looked, I looked it up. New York Times bestseller, though she didn't say number one New York Times bestseller. She's a New York Times bestseller, so somewhere on the list. We'll give it time. It just uh, came. Out. And also. Number one Sunday Times bestseller, so I guess it's really uh, uh, jumping off the shelves over in the UK. Mm. And I think that it, it's another one of those situations where it's like, who do I recommend the New York Times bestseller slash number one Sunday Times bestseller book to? Like, kind of everyone, uh, but also the like people who are interested in these ideas of. Uh, diversity racism and oppression and like how these things play out in the publishing industry of course like i think that it's like for me as someone who is uh, like tangentially related to the publishing industry because we have plenty of friends involved in the publishing industry we interact with uh like uh people are publicists Mm -hmm. uh, and we interact with authors of course and uh we learn about what their experiences are like like Mm -hmm. i think there are ways where i'm like oh this kind of like makes sense with what like i don't know like sarah el arifi was telling us about and right right uh, like her experience. So there's moments where for me that kind of hits a little bit uh, harder or hits different as the kids are saying. Sure, uh, sure. Because I'm like, oh, wow, like this stuff definitely really happens. And then there's like these these things that appeal to anyone who are interested in these topics. But I would say that like there's times where I found myself recommending to people that are like aspiring authors or involved in like uh, like i have a second cousin who's like edited a book and that got published a while back and i was like oh you know what you'd probably really like this because you have an idea what this world looks like and so we have plenty of listeners i know that are authors aspiring authors uh i I know publicists uh, listen and uh other podcasters in the book universe so i would say all of you folks who are listening this is like a must read i just have trouble calling things must reads though like, <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want like <laughs> you don't must you don't must do anything yeah like, yeah do if whatever you want, you want to like, this is a, if you want this to is read a, you know yeah all um, books are if you want that's... to read for the most part in my eyes but go for it you're gonna enjoy it if you're in sure. the publishing world and FDF, sure, go for it. Approval right there. And it's funny because I read... Um, <laughs> See, this is why we're not going to end up... We, like, never get on the covers of books or anything. Or, well, not that we're cover of book uh, level anyway, blurb. probably. But we could be inside flap. Like, inside I, I, flap. I know we're at a level where we could be inside flap. Somewhere in the middle on the but, back, maybe, of, like, the reprint. Yeah. You know, like, we, yeah. we could get something one day. But... Um, we'll, we aspire to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I, know, I recently dabbled in the uh, capital F fiction uh, world Ooh. as well, and I read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, I, the Isn't it Tomorrow, name is Tomorrow a, and Tomorrow? Is it Tomorrow, Tomorrow and... I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's it. Uh, is it Tomorrow? It's Tomorrow and Tomorrow, tomorrow and Oh, tomorrow. no, you got it. I got it by got Gabrielle it. Zevin, Z-E-V-I-N. And there's kind of some interesting similarities here. There is definitely this... It's more of a commentary on the video game industry than the publishing industry. And it's not as pointed as I'm assuming Yellowface is, just from the description and Arv Kwong's own conversations on social media around the book and your um, take on the book it's not nearly as pointed but there is a lot about being a woman in the gaming industry in the early 90s Mm. and being in uh, MIT in the early 90s and you know that kind of environment and you know they were of course plenty of like i think the main character she i think she was asian too i don't don't hold me to that (laughs) but um uh sadie green i actually don't think she was asian but i don't know but um it's really interesting kind of idea that 
this whole book is fueled by taking on the meta themes of an industry, you know, using truth is um, more real than uh, fiction's more real than truth sometimes, or truth is stranger than fiction. And, and <laughs> it, it, it nailed it. It, 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 um, it takes on a lot of themes, not as pointed, obviously, and it's a bit more dramatic and juicy and and entertaining uh, in its focus it's not focusing on taking down anybody or anything it's a it's a drama but it's also got a lot of positivity in it as well so and um it's just an entertaining story all around but i think that would be like a good and it's also just one of those like super popular book club everywhere kind of books and i think you know it's been out long enough that it's kind of getting phased out of the current conversation and yellow faces coming in that's kind of like how i feel about it and i really enjoyed tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and i would recommend it um to anyone that is an avid fantasy reader and also really into video games which i'm imagining there's quite a bit it's kind of fun and if you're a little (laughs) if you're in that millennial generation or maybe a little older there's a lot to enjoy about that kind of 90s nostalgia as well for a lot of these characters so but those I, I can see some similarities there what's also interesting is i was looking at you know fellow tulane alum and a uh, three-time mm-hmm. hugo award-winning author nk <clears throat> jemison back, back yeah back to like swept the hugos with her trilogy she has a like a collection of short stories called how long till black future Month," yeah. which is a fantastic title by the way and uh, till like apostrophe t-i-l which i love and that is like where she sharply examines modern society you know from a social standpoint as nk jemison is so invested in and does so well with her other work so uh, that to me seems like something that might be a natural like segue back into fantasy it's not necessarily about the publishing industry but it's it's still like nk jemison i think would be fans of her would definitely kind of cross over no problem uh, because her social commentary is so so good and nuanced and rich that it's like hey you want to see what it's like for a a different perspective in a different industry like like in a publishing industry environment specifically like there's a lot to get into there there's so much nuance and difference between these two authors experiences that i think it would be cool to to check out both and sara el arifi we've mentioned a couple times her story about her experience with publishing was super fascinating as well and i think you know starting to pick up her works and we've seen pictures of sara and rebecca hanging out so you know there's a little bit of that networking adjacency there so i would recommend any fans of Sara's to check out Kwong and and vice versa, That's you know. So um, those are just what comes to mind for me. And check out our interviews with Sara. Oh, yeah. Sara's interviews are like she always is such a phenomenal interviewee mm-hmm. that, and we always get tons of positive feedback when we release an episode with Sara on it. So, uh, tune into that, uh, not necessarily for us, but definitely for Sara. <laughs> Mm-mm. yeah definitely and yeah there's just a lot to get into there around like the world of publishing that Sara doesn't necessarily translate into her stories her stories are certainly about you know there, there's racism classism and, and things like that but it's very fantastical she's not like doing anything about the publishing industry she's not being super pointed about like her own experience <laughs> and stuff like that but um when you learn about her and you watch you listen to our interviews yeah. with her, you'll get that experience and it will kind of help contextualize the kind of things that Arv Kwong is writing about and talking about yeah. in publishing too. There's just a lot to get into. And that's why we love to talk to authors, you know, getting all those different stories, not just the actual stories that they write, but the stories that they tell. Right, Dylan? <laughs> oh, well done, Charles. Yeah, they're, every author that we've talked to has a completely unique experience as to how they got to where they are. And it's it's always, like you said, fascinating to hear from them. And I'm sure, uh, like, if Sara wanted to follow a similar career path of writing this more military fantasy uh, sort of book at the beginning of her career and then get into stuff that's more... Like this examination of what's going on with the uh, 
real world or real world publishing industry, I think she would absolutely <laughs> kill it because she's got uh, so many like really thoughtful and uh, interesting things to say about all of that. It's uh, yeah, and uh, it's N.K. Jemison also a fantastic person connect to this because she's she gets into these uh, similar themes and issues with all of her work that I've read and like you said most of the time it's more uh, like staying in the fantasy or sci-fi genres Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, if folks you know it's all just storytelling even if it's a very different setting it's all storytelling that can tell us all sorts of things about our current world even if it's through the lens of a secondary world i mean a lot of times those are the things that we uh, like love about fantasy like we mm-hmm. did that that episode way back like why do we love fantasy or something and we love i believe we referenced rebecca kwong's work before she'd ever published uh anything like yellow face mm-hmm. where we were saying it gives us the opportunity to look th- like look at things that take place in our r- real world but from a like decontextualized uh, manner mm-hmm. where we're not stuck as much in our own like experiences and biases as we would be if you start telling the story in the actual world. Mm -hmm. So love that about fantasy, love that about NK Jemison's work. And then if you want to see it play out in the more real world setting, particularly in the publishing industry, then yellow face is a great fit for you. Wow. Well said, Dylan. I, the other thing, like this book is easily digestible for us people used to fantasy stories, so that also is appealing. Like whenever the next quick reprieve I get between stories, I'm gonna see if I can sneak this one. It is very much like a sneak inable story. <laughs> That's what I did. I snuck it in. I basically, <laughs> like I said, audiobooked it in a day. I think the length is i listened to it at 1.5 speed so it was under six hours for me uh the length is eight hours and 39 minutes if you listen to it at regular speed okay i mean you got a long car ride just go for it (laughs) a very long car ride indeed all right well that I think wraps it up, Dylan. We've talked plenty in a spoiler-free fashion about Yellowface by R.F. Kuang. I don't think there's anything left to do but play that sweet, sweet outro music. What do you say? Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right. Thank you all so, so much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, do us a favor and let us know over on the socials. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they love what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than following us over on social media, what can they do? toss five stars to our podcast which you can do over on spotify just two clicks over at the top of the friends talking fantasy podcast feed and it helps us so much when you do that you can also rate and or review on apple Podcasts anytime you write one of those nice reviews and say good things about us it puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing just listening guys more than enough thank you all so so much for listening you guys are awesome and as always go forth and conquer friends